I think it's interesting this morning that we're starting off, and you guys didn't know this, but you, that we're starting off a new series called Legacy. And uh, Legacy is about building things. It's going to be about what, what builds legacy, what hinders legacy, and the difference between inheritance and legacy. The closest Bible word that we have for legacy is inheritance. The world takes inheritance and makes it monetary. But the Bible, there's so much more to it. Legacy can be summed up to me in one word. Live for what lasts. Live for what lasts. Amen? Genesis 13, 14-17 said, The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. And I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can also be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So legacy lifts your eyes from the place that you are forward. This is, this is an amazing promise to Abram in that God was speaking to him and he says, listen, you're going to live now, but you're going to live in a way that actually touches the generations moving forward. See, that's, 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 that's what's in us. At a men's meeting recently, I spoke, I spoke at, I told a story about this toe-headed young boy of about three years old in San Antonio, Texas. And his mom had divorced his dad, had ran away, had changed their last name to hide them. The, the story goes that the boy would see a man walk down the sidewalk and go out and ask, are you my dad? Subsequently, the boy's mom remarried and divorced four more times. And each time the boy had his last name changed and never knew what his real biological name was until he was 16. That boy was me growing up. I was one of 11 brothers and sisters, all half. Had a father wound, had an identity crisis growing up. Felt like I'd been rejected, not being marked, so to speak, in any positive way by a father. And that was a legacy that was started that needed to be a legacy that was changed. And it was by the grace of God through Jesus and spiritual fathers in the body of Christ. See, we're all product of legacy, good or bad. Think of it as an inheritance. It's like theologians. Some people will say, well, I'm not a theologian. Yes, you are. Everyone's a theologian to some extent. There's just good ones and there's bad ones. Amen? And so, when we, when we think of this, you and I are going to leave some sort of a legacy. But what kind of legacy will depend on the intention and the direction of your heart and your actions. And legacy is something that I've been aware of much more as an older man than, than when I was younger. See, when you're younger many times, you're just trying to figure out how to survive. You're just trying to figure out how to get married, man. Well, I got married. I was 19. She was 18. I had the tiger by the tail. Well, not her. <clears throat> I had the world by it. And I thought I had it all figured out until I came home and she left me. She packed everything up and left me. And, and, and I realized, man, I still don't have this thing all figured out. 
and 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 I had to I had to do some. I, you're just trying to survive sometimes. You're trying to just grow your family and you're trying to figure out how to be married and you're trying to figure out how to you know, get your education and get a better job and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But legacy is about setting someone else up for the future. That's what legacy is about. And having the concept of legacy filters your motives and your actions moving forward. And I wish I would have grasped it earlier. It changes your objectives. See, legacy is about building something that will outlast your time here on earth. Legacy is about doing something now, living differently, sacrificing that sets up the next generation, extends the borders of the next generation. The worst bumper sticker I've seen is I'm spending my children's inheritance. That's actually right from the pit. If you got one on your bumper, let's go take it off now that you know. It's not biblical. It's basically saying, I'm going to spend everything on me and I don't really care what the next generation gets. That's so why I know people are doing it because it's funny, but really when we look at the biblical pers- uh, perspective of this, and see, see, here's the thing, there's something inside of us that wants to shout out, I was here. Come on, go into most gas station restrooms and what are you going to find on the toilet wall? Johnny was here. Right? I mean, all over the place. It's like, do you know that's actually one of the most written pieces of graffiti that there is? So-and-so was here. You go into the woods and you have somebody carves out something that says, you know, so-and-so and so-and-so, we were here. Because there's something that somebody puts in place that wants to remind somebody behind them that I, I was here and I made a difference. That's legacy. See, something that God puts in us desires to build something that remains. Jonathan Edwards. How many of you heard of Jonathan Edwards? He was an amazing preacher in the 1700s and widely regarded as one of America's most important and original philosophical theologians. Great awakening preacher. Probably the most famous message he preached was sinners in the hands of an angry God. Like it was a, you know, he was like the forerunner of the Great Awakening. Crazy stuff. Now, there's a man named A.E. Winsup who researched Jonathan Edwards, and here is his legacy. He had 11 children, 1,400 descendants, 100 of those descendants were lawyers. 80 public officials, 66 doctors, one dean of medical school, 65 professors, 30 judges, 13 college presidents, three mayors, three governors, three U.S. senators, one controller of the United States Treasury, and one vice president of the United States. That was his legacy. That's legacy. Now, remember the statement, you're going to leave a legacy either good or bad. So, at the same time as Jonathan Edwards, there was a man named Max Jukes. His descendants include seven murderers, 60 thieves, 190 prostitutes, 150 convicts, and 440 people who were alcoholic. And out of the 1,200 descendants that were studied, 300 of them died prematurely. You're going to leave a legacy, either good or bad. I want to leave the good one. 
See, the legacy that you want to leave tomorrow will change the way that you live today. I, I you know, I tell the story. My oldest son, well, both my boys were in the trades when we were down in McCall. And I remember one time, my oldest son, he was working for a company. They were building homes and, you know, doing just I mean, huge, beautiful homes around Payette Lake. And he, and he comes home one day and he says, Dad, he says, can we just drive in my truck? I want to I drive you around and show you some of the things that I've built. And so, you know, I, we jumped in his little truck and we're driving around and he's showing me this beautiful house. You know, I, I, you know, I framed that one up or, you know, I built, the, uh, I built the entryway for that or I sighted this one. And, you know, it gave me such a picture of here's a son that just wants to show his father Something that he's doing. And I'll guarantee you, anytime my son goes back to McCall, there's going to be a thought, I built that house. I did that thing. I actually left something there that's probably going to outlast him. Amen? Now, I want to go back to the story of my mom because here, here, here's, what I, here's my takeaway. Despite being broken, every one of her children... Every one of her grandchildren and great-grandchildren believe, know, and follow Jesus. So here's the thing. Even we who are broken can leave a legacy. You know, even we that are broken can leave something that moves forward. I visited a church a number of years ago in Chittingstone, England. And it was built in the 1300s. And it was kind of interesting because the pulpit was like you had to kind of walk up the stairs and you were way above the people. And it was, you know, you can imagine some of those old preachers just doing that. But one of the things that was interesting as you walked into that church, the saints of that church that had come and gone and built for generations were actually, they buried them right in in their entryway. You'd actually walk over their headstone and it was kind of weird. I mean, I'm thinking, man, if Jesus ever shows up and says, come alive, you know, here they come right out of the floor. But it's a great illustration of a generation that built something that would last for the next generation and beyond. See, the faith of those before us needs to be honored and recognized. It it may have been that their ceiling became, their floor became our ceiling. Isn't it crazy? Their sacrifice became our foundation. That's legacy. And here's some things that that we can live and build and sow in today that create legacy for tomorrow. I've got a lot. We preach a lot of Scripture. Okay? So I got a lot, maybe an extra amount this morning. So any of you that weren't caught up in your devotions this week, we're going to catch you up. It's all good, right? You know, if you feel like, I didn't get to read my Bible, we're going to catch up right now. We're going to do it. But listen, here's, here's, here's the things that we build, that we live and build and sow in today that create legacy tomorrow. Number one is the Word of God. The Word of God. Robbie read this over the baby dedication. I thought it was appropriate. Deuteronomy 6, 5-7. through You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. Shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. Man, I mean, think about that. When you sit, when you walk, when you lie down, when you rise. It's actually talking about the Word of God being something that you instill in your family. 
and still in the next generation. Amen. Can we get an amen on that? It says, listen, Ephesians 6.4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Philippians 4.9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Here's Paul saying, listen, it's okay to imitate. If you see me doing these things, go ahead and do these things. How, how many of you, this is the coolest thing. How many of you like, maybe you're in the trades and, and you know, your, 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 your little, little boy, little girl, they, they want their own hammer, they want their own dirt digging stuff because what do they want to do? They want to imitate dad. They want to imitate that. And this is what is happening here. 2 Timothy 2.2 says, And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust of faithful men who will be able to teach others also. See, here's the thing. I want to not only sow the Word of God into the next generation, but I also want to be aware of my words to them. My words. I mean the Word of God, but also my words. See, I, I, I want my grandkids, my kids repeating sayings and thoughts that were handed down to them. How many of you got something that maybe your mom said, your dad said, your grandpa said, and it just sticks with you for years? You know, one of the things that my mom said for years and years, I use it all the time. If this is the worst thing that happens to us, we're going to be okay. And I was talking to my little sister, and I'm like, where do we get that? Do we get that from grandma? Do we get that from mom? And she said, that's just something that mom said. You know, and I use it all the time and it's comforting to me. It's like something that was handed down. You might have some funny things that you say that your kids will repeat. You might have some things that you say that you don't want your kids to repeat, if you know what I mean. But you got to realize the power of your words, the power of your words to build, the power of words to create, the power of your words to affirm. This is the legacy that we, I want my kids to know my dad believed in me. He trusted me. He spoke good things into me. I want my grandkids to understand that. I want my great grandkids down the, down the road to understand that. Praise God. I'll live that long if the Lord willing and the crick don't rise. Amen. I want to model worship. I want to, you know, and I've done this. I've done this deliberately. Holding on to my grandbabies in worship and raising my hand because I want them to have memories of their papa basically being a worshiper. I want to hand down that legacy. you got an opportunity to, to, to build a legacy. These are kind of the things that we do. You sow into legacy by stories of faith. By stories of faith. Tell your stories in Psalm 78.4. We will not hide them from their children, but tell them to the coming generation of the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders of what He has done. Listen, they overcame by the what the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony. Your testimony to the next generation is powerful. This is what God's done for me. Joshua 4.21-22 through 22, And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on the dry ground. They set up a memorial so when the children would say, why are those stones stacked there? <laughs> let me tell you the testimony. Let me tell you the story of what God did. See, that's the that's legacy. 
Psalm 145.4 One generation shall commend their works, your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. I mean, that's why, you know, I love this. I was, I was sharing with somebody that we have. I, in fact, I, I was at the, the last service that you preached at up there. And I think I might have shared this for a moment or two. But I love having a generational church. I really do. Man, I love having listen, the, the gray hair, and I'm getting more of it all the time. But I love having the young people, but I love that, that passing and that, that interaction and that pollination that is so important because we see this in the Bible. It's so incredibly important. One generation shall commend your works to another. I mean, some of the things that you know, young people, can I just talk to you? You know, you see some of the older people in the congregation. You don't realize what mountains they have walked around already. You don't realize what territory they have taken already. You don't realize what trials and tribulations that they have successfully navigated. You don't see where God's parted the water for them. You don't see where God is, has, has brought refreshing into them. You don't see that, but listen, if you will, if you will basically ask and allow that relationship to be fostered, man, you're going to hear pretty amazing things. You sow into legacy by being people of gratitude. We don't live in a culture that's thankful today. How many of y'all figured that out? We, we live in a culture that's critical today. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you well I don't want to be thankful well then you need to read your Bible because this is actually the will of God that you will be thankful you can find something to be thankful for did you breathe today praise God be thankful right did you have two socks to put on today you did well some of you did <clears throat> be thankful I mean, we can find it. We can change the narrative. We can flip the script. But we live in such a culture today that it's entitled, it's enabled, we're owed everything, and we are not a thankful person. So let's be a thankful church, amen? Let's give thanks in all circumstances. Ephesians 5.20 says, Give being thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You sow into legacy by being people of generosity and by being people that give. Listen, Luke 6.38, Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. Can, let, let me stop right there. Don't read any farther. Give and it will be given to you. There's another scripture. It's called the law of reciprocity. It says that God will not be mocked. Whatever a man sows, so shall he reap. Right? You know what I've recognized in my life? If I'm getting, and I've said this before, but if, I'm, if I feel like I'm getting some criticism, the first thing I do is, God, have I been critical? Have I been sowing the seed of criticism? And there's times when I'm like, oh, yes, I have, God, please forgive me. Because I don't want to reap that. I actually want to, listen, if you want, if you want gratitude, sow gratitude. If you want honor, sow honor. I mean, so this is far beyond just monetary stuff. If you want people to say good things about you, make sure that you're sowing good things into people. 
But it says, given it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, and it will be put back into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Hebrews 13, 16, do not neglect to do good and to share with what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. I wanted my children to see generosity. Now I brought them up to where they were responsible. I just didn't give my kids everything. But I would do stuff like, hey, you want that rolling, Rawlings gold glove mint, that really nice one? Guess what? Save up, work, pay half, I'll pay half. I mean, I did a lot of stuff like, because I'm also instructed to train them up in how to handle finances and money and stuff. But I wanted, I wanted to show them, I wanted them to understand tithing and offering above that to the building of the kingdom of God. I want to model to the next generation what laying up in treasure, laying up treasure in heaven is. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, your heart will follow. Some people get that messed up. Where your heart is, your treasure will follow. No, it's the other way around. I guarantee you, if you're not in the stock market and you put $1,000 of your hard-earned money into some stock right now, you will start following it. You will want to know, what is it doing? Your treasure, your heart follows. So put your treasure in, your heart follows. Amen? You sow into legacy by being people that serve. Mark 10, 42-45, y'all hang with me. And Jesus called to them and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it will not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. You know, the greatest people in this body, in this community, are not necessarily the ones that are up on the platform. It's the ones that are serving. That's the heart. That's the heart of our house. It's like there's something. Jesus didn't say it wasn't, it wasn't admirable to be great. He said, here's the pathway. It's an upside down kingdom. You serve. You serve first. That's a servant. We serve. We have a servant leadership. And you live for today what you want to leave tomorrow. Amen. How many of you are like feeling challenged by this? It's okay. It's okay. I only had like two hands up, Pastor Jack. I think I'm going to go back to the beginning of the sermon and start preaching it again. Sow a legacy of character. Gifting will get you in the room. Character will keep you in the room. That's been around for a long time. David McCracken writes this, the legacy of your leadership tomorrow can be seen in your DNA and character today. Think about that. What is God doing right now that's actually shaping character in you? Because character is usually not shaped <laughs> when it's all happy clappy, right? Character is usually shaped when there's a grind on you. You know, character is shaped in the workplace where maybe the boss is asking you something you don't really want to do, but you realize this is what I'm called to do. Character is shaped by holding your integrity in times of difficulty. Character is shaped when you're when your taxes come out and you're kind of going, hmm, there's a big old thing I could probably, no, nah, I'm going to do the right thing. You know what I'm saying? Integrity and character are not usually shaped during the great times. They're shaped through the difficult times. That's when you find out who you are inside. You know, all of us, I think we can operate pretty good when things are just going amazing. 
It's when you're stressed and you're pressed and you're backed up and you're jacked up and somebody's all hacked off at you where you basically find out what's inside of you. And I'm telling you, the Lord is more concerned about what's inside of you in those times than what you express in the great times. That's the, that, that's the grind of character. Amen? Okay, I knew that was for somebody here. At least one person in the room needed that. Jesus' name. Legacy looks to reproduce. Elisha was a double portion legacy of Elijah. Think about this. Timothy was a product of three generations of faith. That's awesome. As broken as you know, my my life was was you know just you you, you see, here's the thing. You don't know how broken it is until you. Somebody else tells you how it is. You kind of think it's like, it. okay, well, this is, everybody's going through this, right? But here's the cool thing. <clears throat> I was, my mom was telling me some stories of faith. And she was telling me, yeah, you had great, great, great grandparents that loved the Lord and they played, and they were like, you know, I don't know, they, they played guitar and banjo. And then you're, your great-great-grandfather. I remember my great-grandfather. He was a cabinet maker in Kalispell, Montana. And I remember him. You know, I mean, back then, they, you know, they didn't have their Bibles on you know, devices like this. And they didn't even carry around like, I got a little, can you hand me that skinny little Bible I got there? That, that Bible is usually what I carry it's <clears throat> because it's, um, it's just a little thinner, right? It's kind of like this. Back in the day, they had Bibles that were like this thick. I've got some of them in my office. I mean, it's like, I don't know what they did. It's like, if you don't listen, I'm going to beat you with a 10-pound Bible. I don't know what it was. But they were big, man. You had to have a wheelbarrow to carry some of them things around. But, she would, but, but I remember, and I remember my grandma being, being a, a, a person and a woman of faith. And then my mom, just despite her brokenness, I had to get to a place where I realized, man, in the area of relationship with men, she is terrible, but we always, always were in church. We All of her kids were. I remember that. She was talking about, and then, <clears throat> you know, I went through a period of time in my high school years where I just decided I was just going to be a rock and roll star and I was just going to do my own thing. And then I remember my mom told me, she says, you know, your grandma's got money saved up for you to go to Jerry Falwell's you know, Bible college. And I'm like, why don't she give it to me? I'll buy a car with it or something. <laughs> well, then later on when I ended up going into vocational ministry, then my mom talks to me and says, you know, your grandma and me prayed and we felt like the Lord showed us you were actually going to be a pastor from the time, from the time you were three years old. We, we knew this in our knower. Isn't that crazy? See, that's legacy. That's heritage. That's calling something out. That's praying something that's not there into something that is. The God who speaks those things that are not as though they were. You know, you might be sitting here and you might be absolutely unaware that you are the product of a grandfather, grandmother, mother that's absolutely interceded for you and prayed for you. And there's something that's deposited in you. And even if you're not walking the way that you should, there's a point in time the Holy Spirit's going to grab that foundation and pull it right back into the kingdom. Timothy, product of three generations of faith. 2 Timothy 1.5 for I'm mindful of the sincere faith with you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm sure that's in you as well. Isn't that amazing? 
And then 2 Timothy 2.2, Paul writes, and what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust of faithful men who will be able to teach others also. I want to get back to that. Faithful. F-A-T. God's looking for F-A-T people that we can sow legacy into. Faithful, able, teachable. Faithful, able, teachable. That means that there's a faithfulness, that means that there's some ability, and that means that they're coachable. The more that you are teachable, the more that God will use you. And I know that for me, I want to sow into people that have a heart to reproduce. Heart to reproduce. There's a story, pastor uh, I talked to a number of years ago. I was probably in my, you know, late 30s, maybe early 40s, you know, I'm just, I'm just starting this, this journey to lead a church. And he said, he said this, he said, people, he said, when they, when, when, when people turn, when a man turns 60, he's got more to offer the kingdom of God than at any other time in his life. And I'm like, really? Because I mean, I'm feeling pretty good right now. I'm 40. I can still, you know, I still play some, I can play some ball. I can, you know, do whatever I want to do. He said, and I said, why is that? He said, because he's got enough gray hair that he's been around a lot of mountains. He's probably got his family in order and he's got his finances in order. And now he understands what legacy is. That it's not about just survival. It's not about building stuff up for Europe. It's about setting the course for the next generation. You'll hang with me. Can you give me a few more minutes? What kills legacy? What kills legacy? I think survival mode filter kills legacy. Survival mode. And you know, we have a culture that tries to put us in survival mode all the time. You better be fearful. Stock market's going to crash. Recession's going to come. Blah, 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 blah. Like, I'm so glad that my finances are kingdom orientated. You know, I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that we, listen, because selfishness and survival are interrelated. And fear of the future leads to fear of building. I mean, how many, how many I mean, you know, uh, you know, Marianne, you guys are real estate. You know, when the interest rates go up and there's a little bit of fear going on, guess what people stop doing? They stop building. Slows down. Why? Because we don't know what's going to happen. We're not created to walk in fear. We're created to walk in wisdom. There's a wisdom, but there's a difference between walking in wisdom and walking in fear. Or what will kill a legacy is conspiracy mode filter. Listen, it draws you right back into the selfish survival consuming mode. Don't be carried away by current events. I preached this a few weeks back, a month back. Legacy men and women swim upstream and they're not carried along by every current that flows in life. Don't be carried away by conspiracy currents. Conspiracy stuff is addicting, but it's not necessarily biblical. Isaiah 8, 11-12. This is the Word of God. This is not me. For the Lord spoke to spoke thus to me with a strong hand and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not say a conspiracy concerning all this people calling conspiracy, nor be afraid of the threats, nor be troubled. There's something in our culture that basically wants to say, Just hang on, baby. But the kingdom of God is saying, Let's advance. The kingdom of God is saying, Let's set something up for the next generation. 
Now, Jesus might come for us tomorrow, but I'm going to plan like it could be a hundred years and that my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren and my great-great-grandchildren are going to... Listen, you know what's just so amazing? In about two years, this church will be 50 years old. Almost 50 years ago, there was a group, they called them Mellow Mountain Hippies. They came out of the Jesus movement. How many of you just seen the Jesus revolution? These, that, that was the life that these... And they came and they started a small group up in Fourport, and they basically grew and grew and grew. And then somebody came along and said, you guys need something to move you forward. And we, this church got donated these 10 acres almost 50 years ago. We are actually walking on the ceiling of a generation before us that became our floor. And we're moving forward. We're continuing to move forward. So I'm not saying stick your head in the sand and ignore what's happening, but we're not given a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. And what happens is that if you open yourself up uh, to, to some of this junk, you open yourself up to all kinds of demonic activity. Because if you do it, invites an attitude of being troubled all the time. And we're not to be troubled all the time. Jesus said this, be anxious. No, He said be anxious for nothing. Well, wait a minute. God's not listening to Fox News. Because if He is, He would have heard about this and heard about this and heard about this. And I'm sure He's up there wringing His hands in heaven and is all worried. Not. He's not. Jesus said, be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer, supplication, thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of Christ, which surpasses all your understanding, will guard your heart and your mind. And that's how we're supposed to live. And it's tough because we continually get jerked into this, this, this fearful, anxious type of a current. And we're not supposed to be. Amen? <clears throat> Let's have our worship team come up. I got about two points and then I'm done. Listen, we there is a current of the kingdom. And it's advancing. And there's the opportunity that we have by our words, by our stories, by our faith, by our impartation, by walking, you know, in our Character, listen, how many of you realize that you can sow a legacy of integrity and character to your kids, to your grandkids? There's things that we can sow into and move forward into, and this is about legacy. And the current opportunity that we have is to build things that make the future different for the next generation. We have a great opportunity to use our time, our talent, our treasure to create a legacy that will endure after our time. I talked to a pastor one time. I love this man. We're going to have him come in and preach. He's, he's a retired Assembly of God pastor, really good friend of mine. And we were talking about funerals one time. And he said, you know, he said, I know a lot of believers, they, you know, when they, when, when, when they die, they, they want people to rejoice and celebrate. He says, I don't want that. I want them crying. I want them snotting and tearing. I want them to know how much they miss me. <laughs> Listen, what are you speaking about 
is I want my life to be lived in such a way that when I'm gone, it creates a legacy. Isn't that amazing? Look, Jonathan Edwards. We're still talking about him today. 17th century preacher. Still impacting the generations today because of how he lived. And it starts with this relationship with Jesus. The first step in a spiritual legacy is giving your life to Jesus. You may be walking in the legacy of broken that God wants to change. You may be walking in a legacy or a product of legacy that's fractured. You may be thinking, I, I don't know what my life is, what my legacy is. Listen, I'm telling you what the, that God knows. For I know the plans that I have for you. And so today might be the day where there's a restoration of hope in your, in your heart and in your spirit. And the first, you might be here this morning and you don't know this Jesus that we're singing about, that we're loving. You might feel the presence of the Holy Spirit and I'm not even sure what that's all about. I'm telling you what it's all about. That's the love of God and the grace of God calling you to come in. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone would hear me and just open the door of his heart, I'll come in. That's the invitation. I want you to close your eyes right now all over this room. Thank you, God, that you reign above it all. There's no higher place. Jesus, reign above it all. If you're here and you've never made that decision, that determination, to say, I need Jesus. I need Him to forgive my sin, which the Bible says He, he will. The beautiful picture that I get from the book of Revelation is the door of your heart. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. The only handle's on the inside. Only you can open it. And if you're here this morning, in Romans 10, 9 and 10, the Scripture says that if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He died, was raised up again, that you profess and confess Him as Lord. I'm not talking about just believing in Him. I'm talking about receiving Him and walking into a place where you're saying, I'm surrendering right now my life to Him. If that's you, right where you said, I want you to raise your hand. I want to agree with you. You're saying, today, Pastor, I want to give my life to this Jesus.